Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. Welcome back to the Action Catalyst. This is Dan Moore, and I am so excited today because our guest is Barry Gottlieb. Gary is the founder of Coaching the Winner's Edge, and his mission is profound. It's to inspire and empower others to reach their full potential. In the business field, he has been there, and he has totally done that. He and his partners built a very successful company up to $75 million that they later sold for $55 million. He became vice president of sales for a billion-dollar international company, got involved with another startup, and built their sales to $9 million in just 15 months. He's a success mentor, he's a trusted advisor, and he advises top executives in both private individuals and also corporations. He's a sought-after speaker, he does keynotes, he does specific training modules, and he's a successful author. His books include Thank God It's Today, TGIT, Every Day's a Gift, and Brilliant on the Basics, a playlist for business leaders. But interestingly, Barry started out as an educator. He was an elementary school teacher, then he became a principal of a school, then he became an instructor at Santa Fe Community College and the University of Florida. He has a doctorate degree. And so we're going to ask him to share what caused his career to make such a dramatic shift from a successful educator into the other things that happened. So Barry, welcome to the Action Catalyst. Well, thank you for having me here. Um, it, my story is an interesting story. And I, I wanted to change the world in a really positive way when I was a young man. And I thought that the way to do that would be through teaching young children. I, I didn't want to get involved with children that were already in middle school or high school because I felt like they were already set in their ways. So I said, okay, I'm going to get into early childhood and elementary education. And so I got my degrees in that. I never, just a correction, I had, I was in my doctoral program and that's when I made it a career change. Ah. So I never completed my doctorate. Um, but I did teach at the University of Florida, Santa Fe Community College. And, and, and I thought that my life couldn't get much better. It was, it was great to be living in a town, a college town like Gainesville. Uh, teaching. And I was also a student of the martial arts for many years. And so I thought I was in like the, the best shape that a person could be in. I was also at the time a professional racquetball player. And then one day my entire world changed dramatically. I was, I sat across the desk from an oncologist who said to me, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but you need to get your affairs in order. You have three months six at the most to live. I had a very rapid spreading, uh, fast, rapid spreading cancer that had met metastasized in my body. Oh my gosh. And that was a changing point in my life. Because when, when the oncologist said these words to me, at first I was, of course, in shock. I couldn't believe it because I felt great. I thought I was in great shape. And I was only 25 years old. And I had to make a choice right then and there. And what I found really interesting was that the oncologist went on to say to me, he said, look, Barry, I want to share something with you. 
there are many people like you that um, have terminal cancer. Some of them, unfortunately, you have have months to live. Some of them may have a year to live or two years to live. He says, and he said, so a lot of them have created these groups where they get together and they do things that they would have never, ever done before in their lives. Uh, and he, he went on to say, you know, they'll go skydiving, they'll ride motorcycles, they'll eat spicy Indian foods that they would have never tried. They, they just really try to do everything that, you know, we hear about all the time on the bucket list before you go. Mm-hmm. And, and I re- recall saying uh, to the oncologist, well, you know, uh, I'm going to live my life that way. Would it, however much time I have, I'm going to make the best out of it every day. So here it is, you know, many, many, many decades later, and I'm still living every day as a gift. I wake up every morning and I thank God for another day, and I choose to make the best out of every day. And that that was a pivotal switch for me because, truthfully, when I was when I was in college and teaching for the longest period of my time, growing up into that age of 25, I was. A lot of my life was, well, you know, what's in it for me? Hmm. And and I realized through some great mentors that that I found along the way that it isn't all about me. It's really not so much what I have, but what I'm really willing to give. And when I give, I get back many times fold what what I thought I was giving. And, and, and you said something, Dan, that was really interesting. I, I made a, a huge career change and left teaching. And I'll share why I left teaching. It, it didn't really have anything to do with the cancer. It had to do with the fact that as, as even as an instructor at the University of Florida back in the early 70s, I wasn't making very much money. And I was, I was actually going further and further and further in debt. And, and so one of the first really that was a life-altering, personal life-altering change for me. And then the professional business one came from when my former college roommate contacted me and said that he was he went on to be a, a CPA and a tax lawyer. And one day I got a phone call from him and he said, look, I'm, I'm leaving. We stayed in touch after we both graduated from college. And he said, I'm leaving the, the law firm. And I go, well, what are you going to do? And he goes, well, I have these clients that came to me and, and they want to start a business down in South America where, where they can grow product that is legal, by the way, very legal <laughs> and, and um, sell it in, in the U.S. and around the rest of the world so that they can make American dollars. And I said to my former roommate, I said, you're crazy, man. You're giving up. You're, you're a CPA. You're a lawyer. You're going to leave this and start a business. You're going to become an entrepreneur. And he said, well, I think these guys are, are really going to be great at what they're they're doing. Their, their plan is good. And so for three years, I kept saying no to him, no to him, no to him. And I got further and further in debt. And I remember calling my father, who was probably my greatest mentor and even though he only had an eighth grade education i always i always felt like my father had a phd in street smarts and he Mm. said to me look son this may be something that you want to try because you can always go back to teaching and and i said you know what 
thank you for the advice, Dad. And I called my buddy up and I said, all right, I'm in. And then we, over the next 22 years, we we started a company and built it up to a $75 million company. And the interesting thing about that, Dan, is when, when you say a $75 million company, you got to realize that the items that we were selling had an average price of about 30 cents. Wow. So to, to create that kind of volume of sales and, and subsequently built a really successful sales and marketing team to make that happen. And, and so my shift, what I learned is that I, I was still a teacher because in order to be really successful, I think that you have to gain knowledge, apply it, and also share it. And so when we, we were building our business, I realized that even though my partner was a CPA and a tax attorney, that didn't mean that he knew anything about how to build a business. And my other partner had an engineering degree, and, and that was great, but that didn't mean that he knew how to do anything. And the other partners were farmers. They were the farmers down in, in um, South America. And I was a teacher. So what do we know about business? And, and so from being in the educational field, I said, well, you know, there's got to be great mentors out there. And when you talk about how do you become successful? Well, part mm -hmm. is that there's a lot of people out there that have been through it. And if we seek those people out, they, they may have already found some great lessons that they can share with us that wisdom can be passed on. So I made it my personal mission to continue to find mentors. And I would take the information that I learned from these mentors and I would apply it in our business. And this is what helped make us hugely successful. We were in an industry where um, our competitors, the average net profits were about 4%. Our net profits were 14%. So on $75 million, we were making 14% net profit. We had a very successful business. And I attribute that all to great mentors, Taking what we learn, I always tell people, people believe that knowledge is power. Uh, I, I disagree. I don't think knowledge in of itself is power. I believe that when you take knowledge and you apply it consistently, that's when it becomes powerful. Because in today's day and age, it's, everything that you want to know is right there on, on Google. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make all of us powerful. It, it's applying it consistently. So those were those were two of the major shifts for me in my life. One was on a personal uh, level, and the other one was on a professional level. And after we after we uh, built that business, somebody came along and approached us and offered us a lot of money to sell it, and and we made the decision to sell. And but my education never stopped. To this day, I continue to learn and grow all the time. So that those are two major things that have happened to me, Dan. Well, I think that's phenomenal. And interestingly, everybody looks at someone like you and says, yeah, I guess he was kind of an overnight success. Well, yeah. 22 years later. <laughs> exactly. And, and a, lot of, a lot of failures mixed in with the successes. Uh, 
uh, many times people come to me and they say, God, Barry, you were so lucky. I mean, you look, look at what, what, what you have and, and you don't understand what I've gone through. And I said, well, look, anytime anybody tells me you don't understand what I've gone through, I go, you're absolutely right. I, there's no way that I can exactly feel what you're feeling. Just like there's no way that you can feel what it's like to be injected with, with tuberculosis from cows to try to beat your cancer or with chemotherapy. I mean, if you haven't lived it, you don't know what it's like. And and so I get that everybody's got their own story, their own path. And, and you know, another interesting pivotal point for me, Dan, were uh, my children. Uh, I've always had on, on the refrigerator in my house, I've always had Gandhi saying, you know, be the change that you want to see in the world. And and uh, unfortunately, my first marriage uh, ended in a divorce. But, you know, I, I saw my children on a regular basis. And whenever my children were with me, I, I would never allow them to watch the news. And my children would ask me, well, Barry, you know, dad, they would say, dad, why can't we watch the news? And I said, well, you know, 80% of it is negative in content. And they, and they, they told me and they go, well, so what? And so I remember a lesson that Wayne Dyer taught me. And it was a mm-hmm. great lesson. So I, I shared it with my children. I went into my refrigerator and I took out a lemon. And I took out a knife. And I and I and I took out a bowl. And my children were very young. We're, I'm talking like, you know, eight years old, five years old, and they're asking me, you know, all about they're not allowed to watch anything negative and and what does it all mean? And I said, okay, here it is. And I know you're young and you may not get this, but I took the lemon and I asked them what it was. And they, of course, they said, hey, it's a lemon. And I said, hey, you guys are good. You're smart. And they smiled (laughs) and I said, okay, here's your next question. I'm going to cut this lemon in half and I'm going to squeeze this lemon. And what's going to come out of it? And, uh, you know, my eight-year-old daughter laughed and she said, dad, come on, lemon juice. And I go that, you know, I said, Brianna, that's absolutely right. And my son, Luke, said, laughing, and he goes, of course, Dad. And I said, well, here's the big question. Why did lemon juice come out? And and to this day, now my children are much older, I remind them of the story because it's what's inside of us. And so when when I look at business, Dan, I look at, at what made our company so successful was that we didn't just work on teaching business strategies and sales strategies and leadership strategies to the people that worked with us. We also focused a majority of what we did on helping them become better people, their families having a better lifestyle. We worked a lot on helping them grow personally, not just professionally. And what the amazing thing that I found is, and, and even today, I do a limited amount of select clients that I work with. I always explain to the CEOs of the company, look, I'm not just going to come in here and, and share with your team how to be good leaders and how to, how to sell and how to overcome objections and all these other things. I say, I'm going to start with the people. I'm going to share with them how they can have a much better day every day. I'm going to share with them how they 
can overcome the obstacles that they face in their life. And I, see, and I think that's what it's all about. And I think that really great companies get it. I know that you get it and the listeners that, that follow your program, you know, they get it. It's the people, 95% of our success are the people that we hire. Mm-hmm. But also, even if we're hiring the best, sometimes those people have never been exposed to recordings like you put the podcast that you put there for people to hear or the great mentors that are available everywhere else. So I, I always look at myself as one of those guys that's always been a teacher. And I always like to work on the help people within before I start sharing the business strategies that were successful for us. I think that is so awesome. And it's absolutely true that when the person is right, their world is right. Yes, sir. Focus on getting the person right, then it's incredible what they can do because it eliminates barriers and mental uh, roadblocks that people create for themselves. So well done to you on that, Barry. I think it's fantastic. Now, I'm sure along the way, you you mentioned that there were some failures. Um, What are some strategies that that you've developed to, to cope with failure? Because anybody that ever tries anything is bound to skin their knee at a minimum, and sometimes much worse things will happen. And yeah. bouncing back from that is one of the real keys to to living, not just business success. Well, so can you share some things that you've learned about bouncing back from failure or coping with it? A- absolutely. It, there, There's a few basic things. You know, uh, something that most of us have heard of long, along the way is that we learn from our mistakes. So I like to remind people, then don't be afraid to make them. And I think that something that I learned from Jack Welsh along the way is that whatever got us to where we are today, it's not enough to keep us there. So I think that in in order for us to grow, we have to change. And not all of the changes that we make are going to be successful. And I know in 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 past podcasts that you have had on there that that there are people that said you know the old um kenny rogers you gotta know when to hold them when when to fold them but i think that the best advice that i can give about when you do face a failure is first of all don't fall in love with any idea don't fall in love with any person Don't fall in love with any concept or any business because if they're not working, you need to know when to let them go. And when something doesn't work out, I think that the key ingredient here is what choices are you going to make? Are you going to choose to become a victim and wallow in it and complain and criticize and condemn? Or are you going to say, okay, what's the solution? What do I do next? What's the next opportunity? How do I move on from this? And and I do think that that one of the things that made it easier for me was my continuous learning and my continuous growth in having great mentors. When when I think about peak performing teams and peak performing individuals, there are several things that that they all have in common and it it doesn't matter whether or not we're talking about um, the new england patriots tom brady or whether we're talking about the new york philharmonic 
or uh, Navy SEAL special ops team. There's a couple of things that for me have always stood out as something that they all do. Every peak performer does. One of them is that they train on a regular basis, always. And the other thing is that they all have coaches or mentors. So in in times of projects or businesses that have failed, it's important to have somebody to remind you not to wallow in what happened that was down. Because the more negative we think about, the more negative it becomes. Mm. So you got to avoid, like I said, the three C's. Don't condemn, criticize, or complain. There are no woulda, coulda, shouldas. We've all heard it before. You have to say, okay, what's next? What am I going to do about it? And you also have to have really strong self-esteem. And the way that you build your self-esteem is by the same the same process, finding great mentors that show you how to feel better about yourself, to look at the things that you can improve about yourself and work on those. So for me, it has the answer is that it's always been that I've had great resources to help me rebound and great people to help me rebound. And also the the mindset that, okay, you know, so so it didn't work out. What's the next thing? And and when I can recall in our business in those 22 years when my partners and I were building our business, everybody looked at us as one of the most successful companies in our industry. And and when I when I'm speaking in front of groups, I said, Oh yeah, that's great, but but you don't know about the time that we had this incredible deal with Godiva chocolate and it failed miserably. You don't know about the time that we opened an an extension of our company in New Jersey, because we were were in Miami, is where our company was. And we opened a company in New Jersey, and it failed. We opened one in California, it failed. We opened one in in Holland, and it failed. Um, We we had a great business that we thought was going to rocket like anything with uh, Gillette, the people that make the ra- the razors, and that failed. And and so most people don't ever see the failures. All they see is the success. But I think what made us such a success is that we kept taking those chances. And when things didn't go right, we would just say, okay, what's next? What do we do next? But one of the things that we were always focused on, always focusing, and really it was um, – the catalyst for why I wrote my business book, which is uh, Brilliant on the Basics, is that we were brilliant on the basics. I remember sitting with my father when I was a young boy, and and on Sundays, we, he and I both loved sports, and we would watch football. And, and I remember sitting there with my dad, and the great lesson that he shared with me, there was this guy by the name of Vince Lombardi. The millennials may not know who they, who Vince Lombardi is, but any great sports nut would know who Vince Lombardi is. And my dad said, "Look, this guy knows what he's doing." And and I said, "Well, explain it to me, Dad." And he goes, "Well, he he's all about being brilliant on the basics. He has a philosophy that if his team knows how to be brilliant on the basics and to execute those basics, that it won't matter." If the other team knows the play, because they will not be able to execute it as well 
And that's why he won so many games and was such a great coach. And I looked at it the same way in business is that with, with our teams, you know, most, it's amazing how many companies that I've, that I've gone to do, um, success mentoring with and training with. And I asked them, well, how much training are you doing? And the majority of companies, you know, I, I read a report once that said that 80% of the companies in the U.S. do no training whatsoever other than what a person initially starts. Well, in our company, we did training every single week. We, we ensured that we were going to be brilliant on the basics. So when it comes to the failures that you're asking me about, they're going to happen. You've got to take chances. But in, in our core business, we were always brilliant on the basics and we could keep going back to that and, and keep learning and growing until we found things that were hugely successful for us. Mm -hmm. I think that's so inspiring, Barry. Um, Lombardi was famous for calling a timeout when the team wasn't executing correctly and getting all the players together around him and grabbing a ball and saying, gentlemen, this is a football <laughs> I love it. and it's absolutely about the basics that's inspiring bouncing back from so many failures but keeping focused on the basics in your core business so that it could continue to grow and thrive it gives you that confidence to keep trying which i think is phenomenal uh, thank you barry another, another question when you when you sell a business with your partners for 55 million dollars uh there's a whole lot of people that at that moment would head to margaritaville but you kept growing, kept striving, kept taking on challenges, kept moving forward. Uh, how, how do you personally avoid the tendency toward mediocrity that can set in, particularly when people have hit a level of success? Great question, Dan. Um, because I'm sure you, as well as me, know a lot of people that have had that success and then all of a sudden uh, it fades. And I I believe that for me, it's, you know, the Japanese have this word, it's, it's Kaizen. Mm -hmm. And I love how they have a single word that has a great meaning behind it. For me, Kaizen, as I understood it, was that continual growth, continuous learning. And, and the way that I have avoided the mediocrity that most people fall into is that I continue on, on a daily basis. I continue to learn and grow and to seek mentors and, and to, uh, I go to a seminar at least, I, I used to go to two seminars a year. Now I'll go to one seminar a year because pretty much I've been retired for the last three years, except for some select private companies that, that, or friends that know people word of mouth that asked me to come in and, and, and or private individuals that are stuck and need a little bit of a boost from a mentor, just like I went and, and found mentors. So I would have to say that what, what kept me going in it is the mediocrity and also this thing called positive self-discipline. Mm -hmm. To my father, who, who only had that eighth grade education, but he was a master sergeant in the military. And, and I can tell you that my brother and I, learned all about discipline from my dad and and that discipline is really important and i'm, I'm going to guess that a lot of people have heard the reason why the military makes has you make your bed every single morning please share it so basically the concept is 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 that 
when you when you're in the military, the first thing that you do when you get up is you make that bed, and and you don't just make that bed; you make that bed correctly. And and part of the concept is is that you're getting people to create discipline by getting up first thing in the morning and and make their bed. But the the other side of it is, no matter what happens during the course of the day, at the end of the day, when you come back to your barracks or to your own personal bedroom. You have a bed. You have you have one thing that you can reflect on that you did successfully that day, and it's about remembering the successes and not getting stuck on the negatives. Yeah, from a psychological point of view, we know science tells us that as human beings, we always move toward whatever our current dominant thoughts are. And and that's why so many people get stuck in these ruts and and fall into mediocrity is that they become complacent and they start thinking that okay they they either have it all or going back to when people fail they look at themselves as a failure and the more you do that the more it becomes the way you do things and everything has to do with attitude and and Dan everybody has an attitude. People have challenged me on that. And I said, no, no, everybody has an attitude. There are people that have positive attitudes and there are people that have negative attitudes. And they go, yeah, but there's some people that don't, that don't care. And I go, well, then they have the attitude of not caring, of being apathetic. In, in all the companies that I had, people knew when they walked into that building, it said the following where they would sign in. Attitudes are contagious. Is yours worth catching? And during the course of any day in any of of the companies that I was involved in, if there was somebody that was having a, a, a breakdown in the way that they treated people or focusing on the negative, I would call a little timeout. And as Zig Ziglar used to call it, I'd give them a checkup from the neck up, take them to the front, show them the sign that says attitudes are contagious. Tell them, look, go outside, take a deep breath, walk around. But when you come back in here, it's got to be all positive attitude because we always move towards and, and you and I both know that negative attitudes are a cancer in a company. Mm-hmm. It one of the, the biggest challenges that, that I find when I, when I go into companies, one of the first things that I do, and I learned this from Brian Tracy decades ago. I will sit down with the the CEO of the company and I will review who with that CEO who the top managers are and and I will then sit with the managers and ask them about their team and the question that I ask all of them is the following knowing what you know today would you hire so and so tomorrow and I I'd go through their entire team and and I would tell them, look, I don't want any explanations. I just want a yes or a no. So you just have to give me a yes or no. If you were going to start a brand new company tomorrow, would you hire Dan? Would you hire Barry? If the answer was no, I would then follow up and say, well, is that something that can be fixed through training or education? And if they said yes, I said, well, then get them trained or get them educated, whatever it takes. If they said no, I would know that it was an attitude problem. Mm-hmm. And I would say, as quickly as you can, you need to dehire them. And 
And so this whole idea of attitude, and and oftentimes people would ask Dan, they would say, okay, so Barry, what happens when you have somebody in your team that's a top performer, but they don't buy into the culture of the company, or they just have this holier-than-thou attitude that just irritates the heck out of everybody else, and it goes against what your core values are. I would say to them, I don't care if it's your best performer. You need to get rid of that person. And and my partners and I had a similar situation that came up from this. We we had a, a young lady that worked with us that that worked her way up. She was our number one sales rep, doing millions of dollars a year in sales. But unfortunately, uh, this was back in the eighties, and and you know, living in Miami, she had a drug problem. And she would come to the office every day and somewhere around 11 o'clock, she would literally pass out. And so I would I would meet with her and, you know, say, what can I do to help you get your life together? And she would say she doesn't have a problem. And I could tell that it was affecting the rest of the team. And I would go to my partners and I'd say, look, unfortunately, we need to get rid of her. And they were crazy. Barry, we can't get rid of her. She's our number one performer. And I kept saying, no, 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 you, it doesn't matter if she's our number one performer. It goes against our core values. How can we allow that? And uh, my partners fought me on it, fought me on it, fought me on it. And then they made the mistake. Uh, they went away at the same time. They happened to go away at the same time on vacation. And I dehired her. Mm-hmm. And they came back. And yes, they were very angry and very upset with me for having made that decision. But I can tell you, fast forward, six months later, they're saying to me, oh my God, we should have done that a year ago. Every one of her customers started to tell us that they didn't want to say anything because they liked her, but she was making all these mistakes. We never lost one iota of business with any of the accounts that she had when we gave it to other salespeople. Everybody else on our sales floor picked up their game a hundredfold and they all shared, well, you know, they, they were saying, well, you know, why should we work hard if you're allowing this? So I really believe in, in having some real guiding principles that people should live their lives by and also that that businesses and we had in all of all of uh the businesses that i had with my partners we had four guiding principles the first one is a commitment to excellence everybody thinks they're doing it but i mean really a commitment to excellence that everything that you do you do as best as it can be done. And you measure all the time. You measure to make sure you are doing that. The second one uh, guiding principle is a dedication to service. Because when I think of service, I I think of the experience. Everybody on a team needs to understand that they all play a role in the experience that a customer or a client gets. And so the experience has to be amazing. There's always going to be somebody that has a lower price. There's always going to be somebody that has similar quality to you. What separates great companies today is the experience that they leave their customers with. I mean, we could look at Apple, we can look at Starbucks, the list goes on of people. The third guiding principle that we lived by was constant innovation. And this goes back to the failures and the successes. Constant innovation. You know, the unfortunately in America, that old saying, if it ain't if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, we didn't believe in that. Mm-hmm. If it ain't broke, break it and try something new. 
And the fourth and the most, to me, the most important guiding principle is respect for the individual. Because without respect for everybody, the people that you work with, with your customers, with your vendors, with everybody, respect is huge. And and so I I know I'm giving you a lot of stuff here. I hope I'm not running over with you. No, I think it's fantastic, Barry. I'm filling up page after page with notes. <laughs> I feel like I'm having a personal tutorial from an amazingly qualified mentor. Well, one of well, the things you. that I'm taking from this is that in order to have those confrontations with people that are negative and realizing it's only going to get worse, we have to have absolute clarity about our values. And when somebody's unwilling to change to adhere to those values, we also have to have the character to act according to them. Because I believe nothing can actually be called a value unless it influences our actions. Otherwise, it's just a nice saying on a plaque. Amen to that, Dan. I agree with you completely. How can you expect people to live by your culture values if you really don't live them yourself and if everybody in your company doesn't so yeah when people ask me what made us so successful it was that we really stood by those those key guiding principles those values and any employee could go to any one of the partners in the company if they felt that somebody wasn't performing or living up to the values. And we absolutely would make those changes, right. no matter how hard they were. And that's the key point, because the values endure. And individuals that aren't willing to be a part of that are inevitably going to hurt it. Things don't stay the same. They either get better or they get worse. I agree completely. I think that's awesome. Well, Barry, the, the time has raced by. Um, on behalf of all of our listeners, I just want to thank you for not only this, the principles that you shared, but also your personal story of courage and inspiration. Uh, you took uh, a death sentence and converted it into a life-giving career. And I think thank it's you. absolutely phenomenal. We are so grateful for you. Well, I thank you. I was honored to be part of your program, Dan. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.